It is Friday, August 9th, and this is the High Times News Hit. I'm Mike Hughes. We're breaking down the top pot stories from the U.S. and around the world, so let's get started. Now, the big story in the world of weed is Dr. Sanjay Gupta's recent mea culpa on medical marijuana. Gupta is CNN's chief medical correspondent and was once considered for the post of Surgeon General by President Obama. He had previously been opposed to medical marijuana, writing a high-profile piece in Time magazine titled Why I Would Vote No on Pot. However, Gupta has done a 180 on cannabis. Uh, here's what he had to say about it on Piers Morgan Live. As part of uh, you know my thinking reason, I've apologized for some of the earlier reporting because I think you know we've been terribly and systematically misled in this country for some time, and I, I was I did part of that misleading. You know, I didn't look far enough. I didn't look deep enough. I didn't look at labs in other countries that are doing some incredible research. I didn't listen to the chorus of patients who said, "Not only does marijuana work for me." It's the only thing that works for me. I took the DEA at their word yeah. when they said it's a Schedule One substance and has no medical applications. There was no scientific basis for them to say that. The science is there. This isn't anecdotal. This isn't the realm, in the realm of conjecture anymore. I mean, for a long time, we've just ignored these papers, but this was a drug, you know, that was used for thousands of years. Okay, uh, the cynical stance here is that it's easy now to come out in favor of pot. After all, a majority of Americans favor outright legalization, and an overwhelming majority support medical marijuana. On top of that, it's also an excellent time to cash in on pot given its popularity. And in fact, Gupta has a documentary called Weed, airing August 11th on CNN. However, it is rather rare to have such a high-profile player admit that we as a people have been systematically misled about pot for 70 years. And it's exceedingly rare to have that high-profile person apologize for his role in misleading people. Now, there's a great deal of good that Gupta can do simply by championing pot. His contributions to the normalization of marijuana as medicine can be invaluable. So, we'd like to congratulate Dr. Gupta for reconsidering the issue and for doing something that far too many public figures view as a sign of weakness, changing his mind. Okay, so speaking of change, last week the news hit was pleased to welcome New Hampshire as the 19th state to legalize medical marijuana. You might recall that New Hampshire wasn't the only state one signature away from approving pot as medicine. The Illinois legislature also passed a medical marijuana bill in June. That bill awaited Governor Pat Quinn's approval, and last week, Governor Quinn signed it into law, making Illinois the 20th medical marijuana state. The Illinois medical marijuana law is considered one of the strictest in the nation. And although Governor Quinn signed the bill last week, it likely will not be operational until the summer of 2014. The law will begin as a four-year trial program. It establishes 60 state-licensed dispensaries and recognizes 42 conditions as eligible for treatment with medical cannabis. Additionally, strict dosage limits will be enforced. Uh, patients are allowed a maximum of 2.5 ounces of medical pot every two weeks, and uh, medical cards will be used to indicate how much pot has been purchased. They're doing that in an effort to prevent what lawmakers call stockpiling. Also, unfortunately, patients will not be allowed to grow their own medicine under the Illinois bill. Nonetheless, the news hit is happy to welcome Illinois as the 20th medical marijuana state. And also, D.C., which is not a state but has a medical pot program. Alright, well, that was certainly positive, but marijuana news is all about strikes and gutters. And uh, here's a real gutter ball. Uh, the DEA has agreed to pay a UC San Diego engineering student $4.1 million. Why, you ask? Good question. You see, last April, Daniel Chong went to a friend's apartment off campus to smoke some pot. 
Unfortunately, he was caught up in a DEA raid and detained for questioning. Chang was taken to the DEA facility in San Diego and interrogated. After that, things took a bizarre and terrifying turn. Somehow, agents forgot all about Chong and left him in a 5 by 10 foot holding room for five days. The room had no windows and no toilet, and for the next five days, Chong was deprived of food, water, and any human contact. Perhaps worst of all, Chong could hear DEA employees all around him, but no one answered his cries for help. Chong was forced to drink his own urine to survive. He suffered hallucinations, and at his darkest moment, he broke his own glasses to carve what he thought would be his final words into his arm. Chong scratched Sorry Mom into his skin. When agents finally found him after five agonizing days, he was covered in his own feces and severely dehydrated. Chong spent five additional days in the hospital recovering and nearly died of kidney failure. To this day, he suffers post-traumatic stress disorder related to the event. So, uh, what did supervising agent William Sherman have to say about Chong's ordeal? Uh, this is a quote, I extend my deepest apologies to the young man and want to express that this event is not indicative of the high standards that I hold my employees to. <laughs> if that didn't make Chong feel any better, hopefully the $4.1 million helps a little bit. And I know uh, we're going to get some comments on that story with people saying that they would have endured five days in that room for $4.1 But what you have to remember in this particular case is that Chong didn't know that after five days he would be freed and awarded $4.1 million. I mean, he went through the emotional turmoil of confronting his own death and accepting it. It's a, it's a horrible situation, and uh, I believe the DEA should have paid him even more. They settled out of court as Chong was about to bring a $20 million lawsuit against them. Alright, so, um, moving on. While the Chong story reminds us of the collateral damage caused by our current marijuana laws, it, it got me thinking about just how these laws came to exist, and how they continue to exist. Most marijuana enthusiasts know that Harry Enslinger helped make pot illegal by tying it to violent crimes, despite the fact that in many cases he completely made up the link between the real-life gruesome murders and marijuana. Nonetheless, the scare tactics were very effective. Fear is a powerful motivator. It's used to manipulate because it works. Now, obviously, in Anslinger's day, it was easier to pass off lies as the truth. Uh, you could get away with outrageous claims because fact-checking by the general population was practically non-existent. And if you bought a journalist or two, your claims would be backed up in black and white. In fact, many of the outright lies Anslinger told about marijuana were so well hidden that they're still disputed by some to this day. Today, at least ostensibly, there's greater accountability. If, for instance, a politician makes a false claim, there's YouTube videos and online articles and watchdog groups all informing against him. Now, considering this giant accountability machine we've created, which inevitably exposes untruths, it's particularly troubling when elected officials continue to knowingly make false claims with the intention of manipulating the public. And that brings us to our fourth story. Last November, Colorado, along with Washington State, changed the world by legalizing marijuana for recreational use. While the vote is in, the details of each state's program are still being sorted out. And as you all know, the devil is in the details. In Colorado, Amendment 64 was largely welcomed by state residents. However, it was met with resistance from certain state officials. You may recall that Denver Mayor Michael Hancock tried to convince the city council to ban marijuana clubs and create a two-year moratorium on licenses for new pot businesses. His argument was that Denver neighborhoods need to be protected because legal marijuana brings with it violence and crime. 
And of course, he bolstered his objection by framing it as the natural inherent concern of a parent. Now, he said this despite the fact that research on the topic overwhelmingly shows that crime is reduced when marijuana dispensaries are introduced to neighborhoods. One reason this is the case is because dispensaries help regulate transactions of a substance that was previously bought and sold without rules on the black market. Now, while Hancock's objections ultimately led nowhere, he's an example of an elected official willing to knowingly make false claims in order to manipulate the marijuana debate. And unfortunately, last week, Denver District Attorney Mitch Morrissey took the marijuana mayhem myth a step forward. Uh, here's what D.A. Morrissey had to say to the city council prior to a vote on marijuana sales tax. Newspaper that medical marijuana, and one of the impacts of it is, is 12 murders. One of the impacts of it is, is 100 to 150 aggravated robberies where people are putting guns in people's faces. We clean up after the mess. And that's what it is. Well, people have lost their lives, laid down on the floor and killed. Indeed. So naturally, when confronted with the uncomfortable question of proof, Morrissey was able to back up every one of his claims with indisputable evidence, which he immediately offered to the public to peruse, analyze, and come to their own conclusions. What? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, he did not do that. He instead told reporters he used loose figures for his claims. And upon closer inspection, none, absolutely zero, of the murders he used to frighten the city council actually took place in a medical marijuana facility. Scrambling to back up his claims, Morrissey sent accounts of nine homicides since 2007 that he says were marijuana-related. Now remember he told the city council the day before that there were 12. And while none of those crimes actually took place in a cannabis dispensary, in many cases it was unclear if pot played any role in the crimes. Almost all of the murders Morrissey referenced were home invasions, and it's uncertain if any of the cases involved legal medical marijuana in any way at all. So, in reality, what Morrissey offered the city council, if anything, was proof of the need to regulate marijuana and remove it from the black market where crime occurs. However, as you might expect, the whole point here was money. Uh, Morrissey said his office needs extra cash to fight the crimes that come with the expanding marijuana industry and his outright lies helped his cause. After his testimony, the city council agreed to put that 5% sales tax on pot before voters this November. Now, just to be clear, the, the news hit is not saying whether or not a 5% sales tax on pot in Denver is a good idea. Marijuana has proven to be a cash cow in an otherwise slumping economy. Advocates have said for years that taxing and regulating pot could lead to an economic boon. The issue here is the use of fear-mongering to manipulate, and that harkens back to the days of reefer madness and Harry Anslinger. Consider it a lesson not learned. And as I mentioned before, it's used, it was used then, and it continues to be used now because it works. For example, City Councilwoman Susan Shepard told the Denver Post that she didn't really know if Morrissey's statements were an indictment of the legal pot industry or the black market. However, she admitted, it was certainly dramatic, for sure. It's hard not to listen to that and not be influenced by it. Alright, uh, we're running a little long here, but I felt that story deserved a bit of extra attention. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to some quick hits. An analysis by the New Jersey Star-Ledger found that Jersey's medical pot program is easily the most expensive in the nation compared to other states with retail cannabis sales. Worst of all, with only one operating dispensary to date, Many residents who have already spent about $700 for their medical marijuana card and required doctor's visits haven't even been able to buy medicine yet, having spent months on the dispensary waiting list. 
One patient spent $1,000 before taking his very first puff of medical pot. And let's go to Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay is close to legalizing pot. The country's house passed a legalization bill last week. The bill heads to the Senate next, where it's expected to pass, and then to liberal president Jose Mujica, who is expected to enthusiastically sign the bill into law. Early reports indicate that if passed, legal pot will sell for the incredibly low price of $2.50 a gram. So uh, keep an ear out for the upcoming Uruguay Cannabis Cup. I'm sure that'll be coming soon. Uh, and finally, let's go to our old friend Justin Bieber. Last week, pot was found on a Bieber tour bus for the second time this year. The discovery was made by U.S. border agents as Biebs was making his way from Canada to the U.S. for a show in Detroit. Now, uh, Bieber was not on that particular tour bus, and apparently the amount was so small that no arrests were made in the case. Back in April, while on tour in Europe, Swedish authorities found pot on a Bieber bus. In that case, no arrests were made as police couldn't determine whose weed it was. Okay, uh, those are the top pot stories from the U.S. and around the world. You can find those stories and more on HighTimes.com, where you'll also find an article on Bigger Plants, Better Yields, how container size and trellising can impact your harvest. So check that out. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at MyQs underscore, and go like the News Hit Facebook page. And, as always, uh, you can email me the marijuana news stories you think we should be covering. If you're so inclined, uh, you could reach me at newshit at hightimes.com. So keep that feedback coming. It's always appreciated. This has been the High Times News Hit. I'm Mike Hughes.